You are listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church, visit salempresws.org. That's salempresws.org. We believe preaching is best when experienced as part of the larger drama of God's people gathering. Something spiritually unique happens when God's people are together. We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching, and to take the Lord's Supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Join us Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. through 71. If you want to take a minute and find it, we have pew Bibles on the back of the pews. Um, If you have your own Bible or on your device, once again, that is John 6, verses 52 through 71. Please stand if you are able for the reading of God's word. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things, Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe, and who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Well, good evening. My name is Ben Milner. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, We're looking at the Gospel of John, and uh, the Gospel of John, uh, we're focusing on 
uh, people's encounters with uh, eternal life, with uh, the beloved Son of the Father. And as I keep saying, the uh, eternal life is life uh, that is invaded by uh, the three persons of the Trinity, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Uh, these three amazing people that just come into your life at some point, as they came into my life in 1991, and they just kind of sweep you up uh, into their energy, into their dance. Uh, when I went to uh, study abroad in London uh, in 1991, uh, I was very scared, very nervous, didn't know anybody, uh, was terrified of being left out and excluded and just isolated. And these three wonderful people came out of nowhere. Uh, I don't know why they befriended me, but they just came around me and loved me. And it, it felt like the way that um, out of nowhere, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit just decide to come into your life. And uh, they take all the initiative. Uh, Spirit gives life. The Father gives the Son. The Son gives his very self, his bread, his life for us. So uh, that's eternal life. It's not a thing. It's not a substance. It's not like a spiritual jolt or Red Bull or anything that uh, is uh, made of anything. It, it's, it's relationships. And uh, in verse 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And that, rela that, that relationship we have with the Father, Son, and Spirit is so rich that it feels like we're being fed. He says, whoever comes to me will never hunger again. Obviously not in their stomach, but in their soul. They'll have a richness there that will never go away. And there's no appetite in my life that hits me harder every day than food, the love for food. Uh, there's none that creates more joy when fulfilled. I love food. I especially love bread. I love bakeries. I waited 20 minutes uh, the other day to get inside of Bobby Boy because I love their bread so much. But the modern food industry has given us things like Wonder Bread, you know, in a plastic bag, or the McDonald's bun that supposedly never uh, decomposes, which may or may not be bread. But Jesus gives us uh, the real thing with the nutrients, you know, the, the spelt wheat sourdough with sesame, that kind of bread where it, when you crack it open, like if it's right out of the oven, it's actually steaming. Um, that's the bread with nutrients, with life that Jesus can give us, not the wonder bread, not the fake bread uh, without nutrients, um, which is our works, uh, which is our attempts to accomplish things, uh, our desire for wealth or greatness, that's the fake bread. And um, the life that is given by God um, that comes down, rather than our attempts to serve God or to do great things for God, it's the life that comes down that is the true bread. And uh, that's emphasized throughout this passage. All the initiative is from God. Uh, there's several statements where it's so clear that he chose us, that uh, no one can come to him unless the Father draws us. So he does, everything is done by God. Um, that's the true bread, life in relationship with God, where it just comes down upon us out of nowhere. So it begins, uh, I'm going to go back to earlier in John 6. It begins with the miracle that is in all four Gospels, the only miracle in all four Gospels, which is the feeding of the 20,000 people. And um, Jesus gives bread in the wilderness to 20,000 people out of nowhere. He creates it out of thin air, creation out of nothing. Uh, it's like the manna in the wilderness when Israel's out in the wilderness wandering around and they can't eat anything and God gives them this miracle bread from heaven. So that's how the whole passage starts. That kind of defines the entire tenor of the passage is this, this miracle of feeding. And the people are so excited about this uh, miracle that they track down Jesus and they try to make him the king. Um, which is what Americans did with George Washington, if you didn't know that. When, um, even though we had, we had gotten out of the monarchy, you know, we had, we had gotten out of the British Empire, and yet, what is the very first thing the human heart wants to do? Recreate the empire. Uh, so they take Jesus, and they say, we want you to be the king, we want you to be the liberator, we want you to liberate us from Rome, 
You're going to be the rainmaker, the one that provides the bread. You're going to give life to Israel, and we're going to go and become the greatest nation in the world. And Jesus just slips away. He's not interested at all. He, it says he slipped away, and then not only that, he kind of uh, left the disciples, and he went across the water on walking on the water. Uh, he, he got out of there. He didn't want anything to do with that kind of power, that kind of uh, bread, um, that kind of life. But they managed to find him because they're searching uh, so diligently. You know, he's gone all the way from kind of the, uh, the east side of the Lake of Galilee, and now he's on the west side in Capernaum. But they have found him, uh, and um, they're very hungry for his greatness. They're hungry for the wealth that he offers, the power he could bring to Israel. And when he, uh, when he meets them in the synagogue, he says to them in verse 27, um, do not work for the kind of food that you're thinking about right now. That's, that's, that kind of food is not um, what you need. That's, don't work for that. Receive. He says, receive eternal life that I give. That's verse 27. Don't work for that kind of food. That is a fake food, the, the food of accomplishment, achievement, status. Uh, receive eternal life that I give. That's where life is found in receiving from God. Um, but we are so addicted to achievement. Like we've got to make a name for ourselves. Even in a religious way, even in a pious way, we've got to make a name for ourselves. We've always tried to do that. Uh, rather, than, rather than letting God make a name for us. We, so we are so addicted to accomplishment that we say, the crowd says in verse 28, he has just told them, um, don't work for food, but receive eternal life. And then they say, what must we do to satisfy God? I mean, that's the human heart. What must we do? What works does he require, they say? What does he require for me to be right with him? What do I have to do to be right with him? Just write it down and I'll do it. And uh, once again, Jesus is so clear. Um, he says, this is the only work God wants, verse 29. I love this, this verse. This is the only work God wants. These are the words of eternal life right here. The only work that God wants from you is to believe in me, he says. Just believe in me. Like right now, that's all you have to do. If you're not a believer, uh, the way that you are brought into eternal life is simply to believe in Jesus. It's just, this, it's just one second of a decision you make, of, a, of an act of the will, of a movement of the will. I, I want him. Like, I believe in him. Just believe in me, verse 29. And then as soon as he says that, this king that they were trying to make earlier, um, they are now um, belittling him. I mean, they, they go from wanting him to be uh, the supreme leader of Israel to now they say in verse 42, because they're so offended by his... Um, you know, gall for telling them that they have to believe in him only. They're so offended, they say, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph? Which probably makes uh, a reference to him being illegitimate. Um, they probably had this in air quotes. Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? Because the legend around there was that Jesus was, did not have a dad, that Mary got pregnant through another man. Uh, so they are mocking the very one. They were just trying to make king because... Uh, they are so upset by this teaching that none of our works matter as far as how we become right with God. And verse 51, he is totally unfazed, and he just tells them again, um, I am the living bread from heaven. I am given for the life of the world. And the life that comes down from the heavens, from the unseen realm, from the realm that's just behind my hand, it's not up there, it's, it's all around here. The life from the heavens is a life without spectacle, uh, without uh, greatness, accomplishment, resumes, wealth, 
It is, it is very simply a life of relationships. And we can so easily move from relationships to abstractions, to these things that we think about ourselves, this persona we create about ourselves. I was um, driving down Academy, where I live by the fire station, heading south to Peters Creek, uh, fretting about the lack of growth of our church. We probably stayed at like 100 members for maybe five years, and that was really, it was really upsetting to me. I just talked to a friend of mine in California whose church was exploding, and um, I was comparing myself to him. I was jealous. Uh, and then I saw uh, a member of Salem who was the father of a little child uh, whose wife had just died. And I'm like, what in the, am I thinking? Like, what, I'm making this all about myself, my accomplishments, my achievements, these abstractions, and it's about these people. It's about these people like that guy. And Jesus says so simply in verse 63, and this is good news. Uh, this is not meant to make you feel terrible about yourself. He says, your human accomplishment achieves nothing, nothing regarding eternal life. It achieves nothing. I mean, it, it's good to work. God made us work in the garden. That's great. Uh, it, it feels bad to not ever work. But um, human work accomplishes nothing as far as eternal life goes, as far as relationships go. There are days when I uh, can't get anything done, and uh, I'll try to write the sermon. I'm just really foggy, and I didn't get to exercise at all, and it kind of snowballs, no exercise, eat terribly, um, didn't meet anybody, um, didn't get any emails done, and I, I feel like kind of a slob and just want to take a nap, and I'll tell Margie, my wife, when I, um, when she, when I get home, she gets home, and she, um, she and I have this line that um, comes from a friend of mine who actually was the one, that the church planter in California that I was mentioning earlier, and he says, um, none of the reasons you think people love you or why they love you. In fact, a lot of those reasons are the exact opposite of why they love you. They love you for things that, no accomplishment at all. And if you go around talking about your accomplishments, that's not going to make them love you at all. And eternal life is like that. You know, your starving soul says to the Lord of the universe, uh, if I really work on myself, I might not get rejected. If I get the right GPA or lose enough weight, um, if I have the right relationships, if I have enough money, maybe then I won't be rejected. And we create these personas like intellectualism that makes me feel like if I can be like this, then maybe somebody won't reject me. And Jesus says that's like eating McDonald's for a month, like supersize me. That'll make you sick. That's fake bread. That's wonder bread. He says in verse 37, I love this translation. This is from the message. But uh, verse 37 uh, can look like a very harsh verse, if you have that uh, in a Bible in front of you. But I love the way that Eugene Peterson translates this. Uh, Every person the Father gives me eventually will come running to me. And once they are with me, I hold on and never let them go. That's eternal life. I, I have a friend who recently lost his job, his church, his reputation. And he texted me uh, the other day in massive amount of pain. He says, in my belovedness, I have nothing to prove, nothing to lose, nothing to fear, and nothing to gain. And I think that it's because he's lost everything that he can see that about himself. Sometimes it takes losing everything to realize what eternal life is. So that's the fake bread without the nutrients. Now, the real bread is here at this table. It's not literally, but figurative. This is the bread that gives us eternal life. And I hope that what I'm about to say the last... 10 minutes or so will um, make you see this uh, table a little bit differently. Um, 
Because we, as a, as a, as a, as a group, as, as leaders of this church, um, one of the things we are most committed to is just uh, the glory of the Lord's Supper. And uh, somebody was telling me today they couldn't serve it because they, they weep too much uh, when it comes because uh, it's just so beautiful. And uh, this is God's uh, chosen thing that he does uh, to create his church. I mean, he, he commands us to sing and, re- and confess in, in worship and to do liturgy and do the benediction and do the sermon and all that's great, but he says this, this has to happen. Like this is, this is what enacts who I am. So he's, uh, verse 59, he's talking in the synagogue still at Capernaum. Um, same place, they're having this discussion about works and faith. And he moves from talking about the manna to the Passover. Now he's preaching about the Passover. And if you know about the Passover, the Passover is when the angel of death in Egypt passed over the homes of the Israelites because they had blood like painted on their door frames. The blood of the lamb was painted over their door frames. And because that blood was there, and only because that blood was there, the angel of death passed over those homes and did not take their life. And the reason that the angel of death did that is only because they were putting their faith in something that was sacrificed, something that was given for them, an innocent thing that was given for them. Um, that's the only reason. It wasn't because like this household had been more virtuous than this household. You know, it, it, didn't, it didn't matter if this household prayed a little bit more than this household, or they were kind of backslidden in this household, and they were giving a ton of money in that household. All the same, the blood was the only thing that covered them. And every spring, Israel would relive that event. I mean, and literally relive it. Not like it was a symbol. They would gather together uh, as an entire nation at Passover every spring, and they would do this around tables all around Jerusalem. They all gathered in Jerusalem, and they ate the bread of affliction, is what they called it, the bread of affliction, the bread of the suffering of Egypt. And it was way more than a symbol. I mean, it was like it took them back there. So in 33 uh, AD, when Jesus uh, had this Passover meal with his disciples, it was like it took them right back to Egypt, right back to that first night when the angel of death passed over. It, it was the, the, the closest thing I could think about was a Revolutionary War reenactment, which like they do one at the Battle of Guilford Courthouse where you dress up um, like the troops, period costume, original guns, uh, you sleep in the tents, you do the same movements as they had in the battle. And I've never done that, but I can imagine it really gives you the feeling like you're there again. And this is not a symbol. This is not just a symbol. It's like we are taken back to that night again. That's what's supposed to happen to us. Um, the, the, the thing that I could imagine doing a reenactment, think about a time in your life that was like the most uh, impactful time you can imagine. For me, it was London, like I said earlier, 1991. And I imagine going back to that house for like a week, and you have the same people in the same rooms, the same teachers are back, go to the same galleries, same theater plays, the musicals, the walks, the restaurants, same, like all relived in one week. And that would, I would be like weeping. I mean, almost every day, multiple times a day. I'd be reenacting that event. And um, here, you know, we're right back to the night of the broken body and shed blood. That's what's going on here. Like the real presence of Christ. Suddenly it's Jerusalem 33 AD, and we're back in that upper room. All of us, all the whole world, all the Christians of the world brought back. It says in verse 55, my flesh is real food. It doesn't say it is like real food. And he says, my blood is true drink. It doesn't say it's kind of like drink. Um, so, you know, 
Kool-Aid and Cheez-Its do not count as the Lord's Supper. Um, it's got to be bread and the fruit of the vine for it to be the Lord's Supper. And it's, it's not literal. It's not physical. It's not like um, this stuff literally turns into the body and blood, but it is real. The real presence of Christ is here. Um, it's not symbolic. And um, notice the language of dwelling, the Passover language in verse 56. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood dwells under me. They dwell under me, kind of like the blood of the lamb. It's like you've got to imagine as we come up to this table, you're sheltered under the blood of Christ. And the angel of death is passing over. And there's no more spiritual death at this table. Uh, there's no more spiritual death. That's been taken care of. The Father and the Son are bringing down their life. It says the Spirit gives life, Jesus says. It says the, Jesus gives his flesh, verse 52. The Father sends the Son, verse 57. The Father, Son, and Spirit. It's like you're turning on a huge spigot from up here, and it just, this just eternal life comes pouring down. Like Niagara Falls, just pouring down. And we're just drinking in the love of the Father for the Son. Uh, it's, it's not an upward arrow, what's going on here. It's not us remembering God. Like, let me confess all of my sins and get myself in a place where I feel uh, just right before God. And then I'll come up here in the right state of mind. It's not you remembering God. Now, that's great if that happens. But this is, this is about God's love pouring down upon us, unworthy sinners. And the life of the Trinity is just characterized by the freedom, the incredible freedom and the glory of unearned love, one-way love from above. They, they don't need us. The Father and Son and Spirit do not need us. They're not trying to sell us a car. Um, they, they, um, Jesus was not surprised that his sermon was a flop, a total flop. It didn't surprise him. Uh, verse 66, after this, many disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Uh, the crowd hated the sermon. You know, he could have been riding on the shoulders of 20,000 fans, like carrying them around uh, the mountains of Galilee. Uh, but instead of that, uh, he's too honest, and he's got to tell them the reality of things. He's got to tell it like it is, and so he loses everybody. Um, you know, we went to uh, the Verizon store the other day, and um, they'll try to, I mean, we had actually a great person working for us, but she was comparing it to AT&T. She said, at AT&T, they'll show you the most expensive plan, They'll mask all the hidden costs, and they'll push all the accessories on you. And that's exactly the opposite of the kingdom. There is absolutely no coercion. There's no manipulation. Uh, Jesus is standing there just ready for them to walk away. I mean, I love that in verse 67, the God of the universe, who could have made anyone he wants to come and bow down before him and grovel before him, he says, are you going to leave also? There's no strings attached. There's no strings. This is the most powerful being in the universe. He's like, I'm, you can walk away if you want. I mean, that's got to be the nature of the church, totally voluntary. Whenever the church has used any kind of coercion to get anyone to believe, that is anathema to God. That is abomination to God. Because here's Jesus. You're going to walk away also. And he'd let them if they wanted to. There's a long pause. They're kind of looking at each other. And then Peter finally cries out, Lord, where would we go? Because you alone have the words of eternal life. You know, there's times that I want to walk away. There's times I'm sure if you want to walk away, and then you think, well, where would you go? Like, atheism didn't work very well. I don't know a lot about Buddhism or Islam. I, not too attractive to me. I think Jesus is the best option I've got. You've got to go somewhere. So where are you going to go? And, and Peter says, I don't get all this stuff you're saying, but where else would I go? Because you have the words of eternal life. 
At the Bible study on Wednesday, um, two people were talking about times that they barely could make it to church. They didn't want to come. But some very wise friends uh, encouraged them to come. They had just gone through uh, a terrible breakup, the loss of a spouse. They were in despair. Uh, They couldn't sing. The sermon meant nothing to them. Um, They didn't really want to see people, but they came here. And the reason they both came, they said, is because this was going to happen. And they knew that whatever else happened, and however terribly they felt, they could get themselves up to this table. They could literally walk up to this table, and they could do that. And then they could put that in their mouth, like a little baby bird, like, you know, looking up to the parent and just drops the worm in. Uh, The bar is very, very low at this table. Very low. But that's not because God is, is not great. Um, it's because he did all the work. And so if you're trying to bring in your works, like big packages, you've got to lay those down. And you've got to get low. You've got to get low at this table, which is hard for people who love wonder bread of works. And when we come up here, we don't like grasp at the bread. You know, if you grab at the bread, that's not the way it's supposed to work. Uh, you're receiving the bread. And, uh, and, the, and then the cup, um, we don't grab the cup. Uh, we're presented with a cup. Just freely presented with a cup. And and it's at this table that we hear uh, the words of eternal life. These are the words of eternal life. That on the night he was betrayed, on the night that the Son of God, the beloved Son of God, uh, was betrayed um, by his own people and denied by Peter. Uh, he was denied three times by Peter. Peter acted like he had a wound and shaved his own skin. Judas actually turned him into the authorities. Um, the rest of the disciples fled. It was on that night when um, nobody loved him at all that Jesus said, I love you more than I've ever loved you. And this is, uh, this is my blood, which I'm going to shed for you in less than 24 hours. And he said, and this is my body, which I freely choose to break for you, uh, happily choose to break for you. Um, it shows how much I love you. I love you when you're betraying me. That's the power of this table. So um, I'm going to pray as we come uh, to receive this meal. And uh, if those who are going to serve it with me will come up here while I'm praying. Um, Lord, we, we beg you to uh, do something tonight to just uh, be subversive to our good works and our desire for status and achievement and accomplishment and looking good to other people and trying to look good to you and dress up um, fancy and Uh, Pretend like we've got it all together. It's so beautiful to see a human being that is just broken and that is simply living on the basis of love. And um, we pray that we could be like that. Make us like that. Make us creatures that are just uh, the the oxygen of love is what we breathe in and and not um, all the things we can get done. So um, give us true bread tonight. Uh, We pray in Christ's name. Remember, we love these rascals.